When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Bunny Michael. When you approach your life from the consciousness of your higher self, the knowing how worthy you are, every aspect of your life begins to change. Your relationships, your career, your self-care, your body image, everything. Because this is the process of unlearning the conditioning of our culture that raised us to believe we have to prove ourselves to belong. True success starts with knowing how much you deserve. Following your higher self is an awakening process and it's no easy feat. But as you will hear from the callers on this podcast, our paths might look different, but our journey is the same. Welcome to EXO Higher Self. Hello and welcome to episode 94. Thank you so much for being here, for being part of our lovely audience. It is such a blessing. I've been doing like a lot of research for my book about our history, about our culture history. I mean, I already knew some stuff, but I'm going real in depth lately with things and it reminds me of how important it is for us to educate ourselves on this journey of connecting to our higher self, on this journey of unlearning our learned hierarchical beliefs. It's so empowering to understand the cultural political context for why we have the beliefs that we do. And as much of a buzzkill as that is, it also is really cool to be like, oh, wow, all of this stuff like is just we've been making shit up since like the beginning, right? It's just like a bunch of ideas, implemented choices, which means that we have the power of creating something different. That's why I love learning about history because you really see that history is made through people's choices, through people's voices, through people's ideas. And we can create from a place of love and equanimity and equality. I mean, people have been working towards that for so long. As, as dark as our history is, throughout that, there have been people who have been so revolutionary in bringing love to the planet. And it's those people who have made such a difference and are the ones that are responsible for the slow progress that we've made. So I take a lot of inspiration from history, and I really didn't get a great education in terms of like my high school college situation about that kind of thing. So I also like to like continue my education in ways that I wish I had when I was younger. It's never too late to learn. Love that. And I'm really excited because this book that I am writing is 
illustrating all of the political, cultural contexts for our learned hierarchical beliefs in a bunch of different areas of our culture and our life. And I'm going to be breaking it down. And so, yeah, you can also wait for my book, but that's not happening until like the fall of 23. So <laughs> just so you know, well, I'm really excited to share it with you. All right, everybody, let's get to the questions. Hey, Bunny, hope you're having a really good day. I am writing to you, or I guess, anyway, yeah, I'm writing to you to get your perspective on uh, family grudges and how we can break, you know, familial cycles, generational trauma, or just when you know that you're a trauma breaker. Um, yeah, just how can you move forward in a space where members of your family haven't been breaking those cycles. Some background, I'm a queer woman in my 30s, and when I was a teenager, I saw my cousin at a shopping mall, and I was with some friends who ended up being a bad influence, but I found that out much later. Anyway, I saw my cousin, and I, like, shouted across the mall, like, hey, how's it going? And then he looked at me really weird and, like, ran away. And I, at the time, didn't really know what was going on. And we were both a similar age. Um, but yeah, for the next 10 years, he would see me at family gatherings. And um, if I was sitting down near him, he'd, like, switch seats with someone. He would, like, give me the silent treatment. And I just chalked it up to, wow, maybe he's just going through something. Um, I didn't take it personally at the time. Uh, cut to... Like five years ago, my mom, out of the blue, said, oh yeah, when you were a teen, um, your uncle called me and said that you called your cousin um, the F word, Gaisler. And I told him that isn't true. And um, that's been the reason why things have been so icy between you and your cousin and your uncle. And when I heard that, I felt really hurt that <laughs> no one told me this was going on. And um, yeah, that everybody was using these coping mechanisms that weren't serving us as a family unit. And we were just instead deciding to hold on to these feelings that aren't serving anyone. And I also... Um, really felt for my cousin because, you know, I wouldn't want to be called that by someone that I think loves me, you know. Um, but however, at the same time, like, I didn't say that at all. And I am a queer person. So, um, yeah, I think lately um, I'm thinking about moving back home and reconnecting with my family. There's been some loss. Um, and I think this would be a really cool time for us to kind of, I don't know, just bury the hatchet in some way um, and not you know, follow in the footsteps of the generation before us and our family and just continually perpetuate these like toxic responses. Um, anyway, thanks for listening and uh, have a great rest of your day. Hi, hun. Well, I think it is totally great that you want to have a conversation with your cousin 
that you want to clear up this misunderstanding that has been going on for so long. And it doesn't surprise me that nobody told you before, that your uncle didn't tell you, that your cousin didn't tell you, because so much of our family lineage, and especially like our parents who maybe were boomers, were told not to talk about difficult things, not to share our feelings, not to get vulnerable, and just to kind of hold grudges. That that was like a coping strategy, because a lot of our culture said like being vulnerable was weakness, but you need vulnerability in order to resolve conflict. So conflicts would go unresolved and people would just hold on to it. And then you have years and years of this like tear in the family that could possibly have been solved had the parties involved been courageous enough to be honest about their feelings and what their needs were and to be gracious to say they're sorry and all of the kind of amazing thing that happens when you heal a conflict. So talking to your cousin is a really great move. And I also want to make sure that when you do talk to him, you do it from a place of your higher self with compassion for the fact that for whatever reason, he didn't have the wherewithal to be able to tell you why he didn't want to sit next to you at the family function. He never brought it up to you earlier. That was his coping strategy. So just really keeping your heart open. It's also funny too, because I was in a semi-similar situation years ago at the end of high school. I was in this friend group and one night we went out and all of this like dramatic stuff happened. We ended up getting pulled over by the cops and like I had pot in my purse and I had to like dump it out and all these things happened. But in the middle of that drama, somehow somebody told another person in our group that I called them a name, which I didn't. And it started this like big fight. And the next day they were mad at me. And I was like, I never said that. I don't know why you thought I said that. Maybe you misheard me. And it was just this wild misunderstanding. And there was really no explanation for it. So stuff like this happens. We really misread things sometimes. That's why it's so important for us to be honest when we do feel hurt and to not make assumptions really quickly in case there was a real misunderstanding. So I'm really excited for you and your cousin to become friends. You can let him know that you're queer too and y'all can support each other in the family and build a relationship. And if for some reason, like, it doesn't work out like that, or he doesn't want to, or maybe he doesn't trust you because of all of this stuff going on for years, that's okay too. You're telling your truth. You're trying to mend that wound. And all you can do is do the best you can. Okay? You're a real sweetheart. Hello, Exo Higher Self fam. It's Bunny here. I am so thrilled to announce my debut book, Hello Higher Self, an outsider's guide to loving yourself in a tough world is now available for pre-order. This book is the essential manual for unlearning your limiting beliefs that have been ingrained in you by the toxicity of our culture and your trauma and your socialization. We all have to unlearn this stuff so we can channel the power of our higher self. 
and everyone who pre-orders this book will receive a special free gift from me to be announced shortly. So hurry to the pre-order link in the show notes and get yourself a copy. I cannot wait for you to read it. The following question is from an email. Hi, Bunny. I recently entered into a romantic relationship with a longtime friend. I trust them so much emotionally and platonically, but I'm not there yet sexually. They have a lot more sexual experience than me and enjoy sex a lot, especially penetrative sex. I definitely enjoy the idea of sex and enjoy solo sex, but I don't think I've ever been able to enjoy partnered sex in the way I want to. We have had tense sexual experiences in which I freeze up or tense up. We always stop and cuddle and do something else. They do not do anything to shame me, but I shame myself. I also know they feel rejected. With other past partners, I never had a sexual experience that I really feel like I was actively choosing, in which my pleasure was centered and was the main focus. My pleasure was always secondary or a means to my partner getting to penetrate me, and sex was something I went along with because it felt like what I should do. I always faked orgasms in the past. I love to please my partner and that always felt more comfortable than receiving pleasure, but I'm realizing how detrimental that was to my own self. I know that I'm beautiful, wonderful person who's deserving of physical and sexual pleasure, and I want to be pleasured by the person I love. I have been seeing a wonderful therapist for the past two years who is a sex therapist. She's really helpful, but I just feel so impatient and frustrated with myself, which makes me feel more shame, which doesn't allow me to progress. I feel so stuck. I want to ask my partner if we can have an intimate night together where I am the main focus and my pleasure is centered, but it feels selfish to ask something like that. And I worry that I won't be able to explain myself well or will just freeze up and start crying. I have so much anxiety around this. Your podcast and content give me so much bravery and hope. I would love to hear any advice you have on what I should do or how I should bring this up with my partner. Thank you so much. Hi, love. Well, what you're going through, all the feelings that you're having are totally understandable. It's not easy to get in touch with our own pleasure in our sexual relationships because we've basically been told our whole lives that sex is shameful, that our pleasure is shameful, that we shouldn't be talking about it, that it's a bad word, that, you know, it's all of this stuff that should be kept in the dark. So of course, like finding that language, finding that communication is a learning curve and it's really awesome that you're in a relationship with a partner who seems to be very caring and compassionate and wants to really build something beautiful with you because that's the type of relationship where we can start to step out of our comfort zone and be vulnerable in a way that we've never been vulnerable before. Now, what it seems like to me is what's happening is that once you get into the bedroom with your partner, you're getting triggered it's triggering for you to be in bed with that person. And so you freeze up because it's reminding you of all these times where your pleasure wasn't important, where you weren't valued the way that you want to be valued, where you felt like you didn't matter. And so being back in that situation, all of those feelings come up. When we're in the healing process, our progress in healing isn't about now we don't have these triggers anymore. It's about loving ourselves through them. It's about accepting ourselves for where we're at in the journey. 
And when we judge our triggers, when we judge our reactions harshly and we shame ourselves for them, all we're doing is imprinting them on our identity. We're empowering them through our own fear. But when we love our triggers, when we understand, okay, here's my body trying to protect me. These are my thoughts who are trying to keep me safe. I understand why they're coming up. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me at all. And I'm going to continue to work through them. When we surrender to that and kind of let ourselves off the hook a little bit, it becomes so much easier to not get overwhelmed and anxious and freeze or react out of fear. So your intuition telling you that what could really help you be less triggered is a bedroom situation with your partner that was totally focused on your pleasure because that's actually taking you in a different place in the bed than you've ever been before, right? Right now, like the dynamic, the penetration, all of that kind of thing is, is, is too much of the same of the other stuff. It's too familiar. And so you know intuitively, hey, if we focus on this, this is going to help break my cycle. This is going to help me build something new, sage out the bedroom, <laughs> in which you could literally do is also sage it out. That might be helpful. And being honest about that with your partner is an amazing way to build more intimacy in your relationship. And I guarantee you, if your partner knew how you really felt and knew that this could possibly help you feel more comfortable in partnered sex and be able to really get in touch with what works for you, they're going to be so down. They want to please you. They want to give you pleasure. And they've proven to be worthy of your vulnerability and honesty. Honestly, even if you show them the letter that you wrote into this podcast, that could be like a great way of communicating it too. Because your letter is so well written and honest and sums it up perfectly. Love in a relationship isn't about always having our shit together or about being perfectly healed. Love is saying, I trust you enough to show you my shit. That's real love. And that's the type of love that makes you feel safe in the most intimate physical ways. You build that together. And I know that it's tempting to think about the fact that your partner has had all of this experience, but the reason why you're thinking about their past is because you're thinking about your past. So the more you let go of that past relationship, the more you free up your partner to be new with you, which I know they want to be. So I think you're doing everything right And I'm so glad that you're talking to a sex therapist. That's beautiful. The important thing here is to not judge your progress because that's exactly what's going to stump it. (laughs) The whole progress is self-love, self-acceptance, self-compassion. That's the progress. So you're doing amazing. You got this. Hey, Bunny. Hey, Kara. You know what's cool about this podcast? What? That we get to help people and bring them together. Yeah, it's really, really cool. But we need help too, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, we do. I mean, everybody does, right? For access to bonus content and to help support this podcast, please become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash exo higher self. 
We couldn't do this work without you. Our Patreon and our subscribers are keeping this podcast sustainable. So don't forget to show your love. Everybody needs help and support. Thanks, y'all. Following question is from an email. Hi, Bunny. Thanks so much for reading my question. I absolutely love your podcast. Thanks so much for the work you and Kara do. My question, I guess, is about how to overcome guilt, regrets, and gain understanding around a loved one's death due to addiction. Recently, my dad died as a result of an ongoing battle with alcohol abuse over the last three years. My dad was quite a secretive man and didn't like to talk about his feelings. He would often shut conversations down when he didn't like them, so he would never discuss his drinking or any emotional issues with me whilst he was alive despite visiting him in hospital multiple times for his drinking over the last three years. We spoke weekly over the phone and we were pretty close. We'd meet up every so often to go out for food as we lived in different cities. My reasoning for not pushing him more to discuss his problems with me was that one time he tried to hide being in a hospital for his alcoholism from me because I was worried if I pushed him, he would go even further and not feel that he could confide in me for anything. And I wanted him to feel he could come to me for support. This occasion caused me to think the worst as I found out from his voicemail message that was left by a friend of his night that he was in a hospital. This was already a year after his doctor said he would only last another year if his drinking continued. After this, I had told him that it wasn't fair to hide being in hospital from me, and I told him how much this affected me by just crying over the phone, which was very unusual in our relationship. He died two months ago, and I would really like your support on getting general dealing with grief and remembering my dad for the good times and our relationship, which was definitely not perfect, but I do have fond memories of him. Not just his addiction and separating any anger and abandonment I feel from this. But I would also like advice on how to overcome feelings of guilt and regret about not learning more about alcoholism while he was alive and generally not knowing what to do to help him, even though I know this isn't my responsibility and that you can't force someone to change. I've now given up alcohol and I'm learning so much about addiction and alcoholism, which I really regret not doing more of while he was alive. My sobriety makes me feel connected to my dad and feels like the right thing to do to respect the experiences and emotions I've been through but I wish we could have done that together in solidarity. I also do have some feelings of anger and abandonment that he chose alcoholism over me and my sister, which I know addiction isn't as simple as that, but the feelings are still there. And as a result of all the grieving and regret, having to deal with death as next of kin and learning about addiction, I just feel so old in myself now. I'm 24 and generally quite a happy, bubbly person, but I feel so old and weathered in myself now. And although this is also new and two months isn't a long time, I would just like reassurance that I will feel youthful, happy, and bubbly again, although this whole process will have undoubtedly changed me. Sorry, this is such a long question. Sending lots of love to you and everyone out there listening. Hi, sweetheart. I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. Your poor dad. I'm so sorry. There's nothing easy about this situation. There's nothing easy about grief. The one thing about grief that I think is really important to remember is that it's sacred. It's a testament to how much you loved him and how much he loved you. And that grief is also a testament to the sacred bond that will never end. 
because now you are connected through your spirit. He has left the body, but his spirit is still very much connected to yours. And I know that your dad would not want you to feel guilty or regretful in any kind of way. You did what you had to do to cope with a situation that was terrifying. Of course, you didn't want to push him because you were afraid you weren't going to get more information. I know exactly what that feels like. I have a family member who was a drug addict and I didn't tell my parents because I was terrified that if I told them, then she wouldn't tell me any of the things that she was doing and I would have no idea and then I couldn't protect her in any kind of way that was possible. And then when everything came out, I felt totally guilty for having not said anything before. But there was a reason for that. There really is no easy choices or no right choices in a situation with addiction. It's so totally out of our hands. And for the addicts, it also feels totally out of their hands because without their fix, they're in even more pain, a pain that feels so unbearable that they can't function or live. That's the extreme level of that dependency. So not only are you dealing with the loss of your dad, but you're also dealing with the trauma of having a father who was an alcoholic and having witnessed his own demise and not being able to do anything to help. That in itself is really hard and hurtful. And so all of these feelings coming up, this anger, you should be angry. Because the truth is you shouldn't have had to deal with this. It isn't fair. It wasn't right. It shouldn't have happened. It makes sense that you feel worn out, emotionally exhausted. But the healing really comes when you break the cycle and know that your feelings are valid. All of your emotions are valid. You deserve support. You deserve to be able to talk about it. It's beautiful that you want to be sober to honor your father. But behind his addiction was this inability to address his own pain, his own feelings, his own wounds. And so you addressing yours breaks the cycle. You knowing that you're enough just how you are, that you deserve love, care, support, breaks the cycle. And when you tell me things like, you want to remember the good times is more than just remembering the good times. It's literally remembering him because during those good times, that's when he wasn't so sick on alcohol that his spirit was hidden. The good times are when his spirit was shining, when he was in his higher self, when you had glimpses of that. And that really is who he really is, who he really was. And so every time you have those memories and you feel that in your heart, that's you connecting to his spirit now because his spirit is still with you. So in terms of you feeling old, first of all, 24, babe, you're so young, which is great. You're not old. But I think what that feeling is, is, man, you've been through a lot of shit. You've been through some serious stuff. You've been through a lifetime of things. So you're not old, you're emotionally mature. There's a big difference. And you're grieving, and it's going to take some time. But I promise you, it's not going to feel this hard forever. 
it's always going to be painful because grief never really goes away because that love is so strong. But what is going to get easier is you being kinder to yourself, not guilting yourself, letting that go. You didn't do anything wrong and you deserve joy. So I'm sending so much love to you and your sisters and your family. I also know that Al-Anon can be really helpful to family members of addicts, even family members that have passed. It's beautiful that you wrote into this podcast and shared your feelings, and I want you to keep sharing them. Keep vocalizing them. Write about it. Express it. Make a painting, a drawing, a poem. Let it out. Because that is the healing. That is what your dad couldn't do and what you can do to honor him. Sending you lots of love. Take care. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you to everyone again for sending in your questions and sharing your vulnerability. It is so meaningful to me and to every listener. You're doing a great service. Remember to be kind and compassionate with yourself on this journey it's not about reaching an end goal it's about sustaining our own self-acceptance and self-compassion that really is the key because we're going to be thrown for a loop as much work as we do then something happens and we're like ah like we're triggered you know it's just it is what it is and the only way to sustain our inner love and to sustain our spiritual journey is to remember to accept ourselves and love ourselves for who we are right in this moment. Not who we're going to be, not who we were, but who we are right now. Okay, I love you so much and so does your higher self. I will see you next time. Bye. EXO Higher Self is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, hosted by me, Bunny Michael, produced by Kara Gilvey with original music and sound mixing by Michael Bihari.